Amen. So the verse we're in tonight is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? Amen. So leading up to this point in the book of Romans, Paul and the apostles have, been making, uh, make, have made clear the fundamental pr- principles of Christianity. So if you go back to the beginning of Romans and through this whole part, Romans is thick with stuff. So if you're trying to think about like, well, how do I articulate what this whole gospel thing means or, or how it applies practically, just go back and start reading through Romans. It'll take you a while because there's so much stuff in there to just noodle on and really think about. And so um, Paul and the apostles have been talking to the church about all these kind of concepts, saved by grace alone, and you know, you can't earn it, and you need to repent, and how to walk in forgiveness, and all this kind of stuff. So then we hit the second part of the book of Romans, starting here in chapter 12, and we we get the therefore moment. We get the application portion. Like they just told you everything that, that all the good stuff, and now, therefore, you got to apply it to your life somehow. And, and that's what we kind of begin in Romans with. I beseech you, therefore. Therefore is that application word. The word between what all the stuff I've just told you, and then therefore, and now I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do with all of it. So that's the kind of good stuff for me. I'm always looking for application and stuff. Otherwise, it's just informational. It's like, oh, that was interesting. But if I can find a way to apply it to my life and what I do on a daily basis, then all of a sudden it seems to have a lot more value to me. Hopefully, it's that way for you too. Otherwise, it's going to be a long 45 minutes. (laughs) God's gift of salvation in Christ requires a response. And that's kind of the foundational principle of therefore. is like you just heard it, now you need to respond to it and do something about it. Uh, God's not satisfied simply with just forgiving our sin. He wants to transform our lives. The Christian life is not just spiritual ideals and a system of behavior. And I think that's uh, kind of a separation sometimes that you see in the Christian church sometimes, probably since about the 90s, is trying to separate like duty and doctrine from just a system of beliefs and things that make you feel good. Because it's, it's really hard to put some of that doctrine and duty on like a wall hanging. <laughs> And so it's much easier to put something that's kind of poetic and eloquent on a wall hanging. But then when you start knowing your Bible, you read these little wall hangings in like Hobby Lobby sometimes. And you're like, that ain't in context. Thou shalt persevere. Whoa. You don't want to put the rest of that verse on your wall. You just... It's just, but that's where we come in our faith, and that's why we're always encouraging you read, to read your Bible, because then you'll be able to push those two things back together again so you can see where you need to go. Not just satisfied with just forgiving your sins, but wanting your life to be transformed. It's a practical pursuit of holiness that requires action on our part. And that's a, another piece that seems, I don't know, why do people not want things that are practical? Why does it have to be all high and like, whoa, it blew my mind. It's so practical. I mean, the, the, pretty much the whole New Testament is Paul and the apostles saying, okay, I, I know this is really freaky what Jesus did, but now I'm going to make it practical so that you can walk it out. 
So sometimes I'm just like, why are we trying to make it so complicated and complex and use big words and all these kind of things? It's, it's a practical faith, and it really does work that way. It's, uh, the design of it is not to just inform your thoughts, but to reform your heart. So you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's Ephesians chapter 2. That's 100% true. Paul says it all the time. Anybody, anytime somebody says, oh, you know, you're talking about a works-based faith, Paul is not talking about a works-based faith. He's always talking about a grace-based faith. But if you believe something, it should change your life. If you believe something is true, it should change how you act. And I probably don't need to come up with a bunch of examples of how that's true, but just think of anything that you truly believe in, it changes your behavior. You eat differently, or you go different places, or you take care of your stuff differently. If you believe that your car is going to get broken into an Auburn, you start covering your valuables. Some of you believe that. I believe that sometimes. Is that wrong? Like I got one of those shade things that you can pull over your trunk, like in the back. I always pull that down. Change my behavior. It may not be true, but it changes your behavior. But if the gospel is it true, it should, if it's true, it should change how you live your life. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. James is also saying that faith or belief without works or action to back it up is a dead, worthless kind of faith. James is saying, James isn't saying that, uh, that your works save you. He's saying that if your faith is real, then you're going to do something about it. That's the practical application. They all say it. Now I'm saying it. My first point is this. This is your reasonable act of service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech thee, or urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or rational service. Do this because of what God has already done for you. Because he has shown you mercy, given you salvation, redeemed you and made you new in Christ, and justified you by faith. That's what he's saying. In view of God's mercies, in view of everything he's already done for you, what's reasonable and rational for you to do is offer your body and your life as a living sacrifice to him. It's a pretty good practical application. Now, it says your bodies, it it doesn't just mean your physical bodies. So all of you who like to pick through the words and say, well, he didn't say. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your whole body, your body, the whole you, your mind, your spirit, your soul, your physical body, the things you do. All of that is your physical body, uh, the body's talking about. It means your total person, all of who you are. In the Old Testament, people, there was this whole system, a sacrifice, sacrificial system in the Old Testament set up by God to honor God and worship God. There was all these sacrifices. So when Paul's talking to the people right now in Rome, he's talking to a bunch of people who are well aware of the sacrificial system. So he's telling them, you know, like these sacrifices, these perfect holy sacrifices that you're used to giving to God and some perfect unblemished animal that you're going to kill on the altar, like that... But you, but still alive. 
So don't go killing stuff. That's not the point. The point is, as you would offer this perfect offering to the Lord, now you are that perfect offering while you're still alive. Now, what's interesting is that, and this is probably some really smart person probably said it, but if you think about the idea of it being more difficult to live for something than to die for something. Because dying is like a, I mean, it's spiritual death apart. Like dying is like a one-time thing. Like it's something you did. Living for something is something you have to continue to do every single day. One-time decisions are way easier than lifetime decisions. And so the calling that, that through, uh, through Paul that Jesus Christ is making is saying basically, instead of just doing this once a year, I want you to do it all the time. Yeah. A living sacrifice made all the time. Lay your life down for God, not to kill it, but to live in obedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 through 23. So Samuel said, has the, Lord, uh, has the Lord a great delight in burning offerings and sacrifices as he has in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than a fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is inequity and idolatry. So basically, in this scenario, you have uh, Saul, the King Saul before King David, King Saul in the Old Testament, and he had, he's done these big offerings and made all these sacrifices, and the priest, Samuel's like, what do you think God wants more out of you? Does, do you think he wants you to be obedient to what he's asking you to do, or are you to make a bunch of these inflated sacrifices in his name? Because Saul's, Saul's like, hey, look at me. I'm doing all this great stuff. Look at what I've done. And Samuel's like, dude, God sees right through that stuff. He's not fooled by that stuff. God takes your stubborn, self-centered, and rebellious uh, life and against his statutes very seriously. See the comparisons he's making here? Your rebellion's like witchcraft. Your stubbornness is like inequity and idolatry. Yeah, your stubbornness is pretty self-serving. And so you've kind of made yourself an idol. It's kind of, he's, he's taking it pretty seriously. He's making it pretty big. He's not just like, you know what, you act kind of stubborn sometimes. He's like, nah, man. It's like idolatry. And we don't worship idols. The Lord would rather you simply be obedient to his word than make some big costly and dramatic sacrifice. He wants you to make sacrifices, but he would much rather you be obedient. Amen? So your living sacrifice is to live your life as he has called you to do and as his word declares. Now, Pastor Kevin preached on Sunday. It was very good. If you heard it, you were probably here because you're more holy than I am. <laughs> I was at work. But he preached on Sunday and I totally listened to it. I thought it was fantastic. It was a great message out of the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
And I felt like tonight's sermon uh, just fit in really nicely with what Pastor Kevin preached on Sunday. Dying to yourself. It means you no longer live to serve your own selfish wants and desires. You hear that all the time. Die to yourself. Live for the Lord. That's what it means. You're no longer out there serving yourself. You're now trying to serve what the Lord wants. Living for the Lord means that you now set his priorities uh, above your own. It's not complex. It's actually pretty practical. Stop living for yourself and your selfish desires. Start seeking out what the Lord would have for you and try to do that because you know it pleases him. Not super complicated. It's not super easy either, but it's not super complicated. To glorify and worship God with our bodies is to engage immediately with the diligence to what God has called us to do to by his word without concern for the personal cost. Yeah? I'm going to say it again. To glorify and worship God with our bodies, like we're talking about living sacrifices, is in to engage immediately and with diligence to what God has called us to by his word without concern for the personal cost. Yeah. Remember Pastor Kevin spoke on Sunday about Paul and Silas being thrown into prison. And the, them being willing to suffer, to, to be doing what God has called them to do and end up in a point where they're whipped and beat severely and thrown into the deep, dark dungeons. That's kind of messes with your mind, I would think, a little bit. Like you feel like, hey, I'm doing everything that the Lord wants of us. And so uh, you think things are going to go well for you. And then this seems to be something that did not go well for them. But they trusted that the Lord knows what he's doing, even when we don't know what we're doing. Or what he's doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Therefore, because you were bought with a price, with Jesus' blood on the cross, honor God with your body and your spirit. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nine. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Therefore, my second point is this. Be transformers. Romans chapter 12, verse two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, one of my favorite toys when I was a kid, you could probably guess, Transformers. I mean, picture this, like circa 1985, you got these robots that turn into cars or cars that turn into robots. Hmm, which are they really? <laughs> Here's the thing. Now, okay, follow the logic. The, the story goes that these robots come from another planet to our planet and transform into cars, right? So you might think that they started out as robots and then pretended to be cars, but why are they called Autobots? <laughs> they were Autobots on their planet. <laughs> Telling you, this stuff is what keeps a fifth grader up at night. <laughs> 
But I love the Transformers. That was one of my favorite toys was Transformers. These, and, and you probably know what I'm talking about because there's been movies since then. But basically, there are these robots that you can transform and they look just like little cars and stuff. And some of the newer versions look exactly like cars that you can buy, like Dodge Chargers and Humvees and all sorts of stuff. They're really cool. We used to love to play with these Transformers. Um, these transformers were from another planet, and they're shapeshifters, and then they come to this planet, and they know that everyone's going to hate them and want to fight them, so they camouflage themselves by ordinary stuff on this planet, like cars and things like that, so they can hide. They turn into cars so they can hide. Um, they're really aliens that aren't from this world, but they want to hide their identity by turning into things so we wouldn't recognize them. They're amazing, wondrous creatures. Have you seen the movies? They're amazing creatures that got set free from the destruction of their planet. They're not of this world, but they're living in this world. But they choose to blend in and pretend they're common things. They didn't want anyone to know who they really were because they knew they'd be attacked. God, that doesn't sound like transformers. That sounds like conformers. God has not called us to be conformers. He's called us to be transformers. They were being conformers, not transformers. Do not conform and try to blend in with the world around you. Transform into the magnificent thing that God's created you to be. Amen. I was trying to find this picture I had at home. It's in a shoebox somewhere of me. I must have been like sixth grade. And I had made this Transformer costume out of a cardboard box. And so I'm out in the front yard and my mom's like taking pictures because you don't have like video back then. You just had like, like click, you know, like film you have to develop. And I was like. <laughs> and so there's a picture of me like transformed on the grass and a picture of me as a robot. Man. I was a nerd. <laughs> Psalms 139:14. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. If you don't think that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, if you think that there's something wrong with you or God made a mistake, then you're saying that God's wrong. So let that change your perspective on who you are and how you were created. That if you say, like, I'm all messed up and I shouldn't be, shouldn't be here, then you're saying that God made a mistake. As Christians, we should not try to transform into something acceptable to the world to blend into and hide. We should be unashamed to be who God created us to be and accept the consequences. Amen? John chapter 15, verse 19. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of this world, but I choose, chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. There's going to be a certain amount of pushback when you try to live your life as a Christian. You, some of you probably already felt it. Some of you, maybe you haven't. But the, depending on the circles you travel, the more you try to live like a Christian, the more pushback you're going to get. I mean, you've probably all seen it on the interweb, right? It just, it's out there. So don't let the idea that people are going to like be mad at you and want to argue you down or, or whatever else is happening on the YouTube 
change the way you're going to behave based on who God created you to be. Because the YouTube shows you every time it's happened, and it's not going to happen as often as you think it is. More often than not, my experience has been that when you share Christ with somebody, half the time they're like, yeah, you can pray for me. And they're okay with it. The other half of the time, they just get really quiet, like, like really uncomfortable. Like the, I'm just trying to buy some gum, man. I, but in my experience, it's been more rare. Even in this area of the world, it's, it's more rare that someone's going to flat out attack you. So don't let the fear control how you're behaving. Just behave how God wants you to behave. How can we be transformed? By the renewing of our mind. So many things in life come down to mindset. Do you really believe it is for you? We believe stuff, but do we believe it's for us? Believe things are possible, but do we believe things are possible for us? Are you changed? Do you believe that you're changed? You may say you're changed. You may say, yeah, I got saved and I really, you know, I feel like I did. I don't really feel changed, but am I changed? I think I'm changed. What does it feel like to be changed? Why are you worrying so much about what other people think it's supposed to feel like? Why don't you talk to God about it? You know what my other favorite uh, toy was when I was, I had pretty much two favorite toys, Transformers and one other toy, yeah, 1985, see, G.I. Joe, we're all, we're all just here, here right now. Every kid is thinking about their favorite G.I. Joe, you know, the little plastic, uh, three and a half inch tall ones with the Kung Fu grip, yeah, who's your favorite G.I. Joe? You don't have to be ashamed. We're all nerds. <laughs> Snake eyes, yeah. You know who my favorite G.I. Joe was? Gung-ho. Gung-ho. He was a Marine. Remember? Like he had that tattoo right on his chest of the Eagle Globe and Anchor. Did nobody else notice this? Was that the only one who was like, look at the tattoo on that guy's chest? I noticed it. Marines are just different than other people in the military. They are. They're different. Now, it, it, I'm not saying that they're better. I'm not trying to say it in the way you think I'm trying to say it. It's like this. That, that typically, like when people say, oh, Marines, Marines are, are, are different, they think, oh, Marines are tougher, they're better trained, they're more disciplined, blah, blah, blah. I've met a lot of really tough, really disciplined, highly trained people in all branches of the service. That myth is busted. <laughs> I am not super highly trained like G.I. Joe myself. I'm not. But this is the way that they're different, is in the mindset. Now, Marines are taught history and tradition extensively. When you're at boot camp, history, tradition, and the culture is taught in the same way and with the same emphasis as shooting a rifle and as your physical fitness test. That's not what it's like in other branches of service. It's not. We knew what our heroes were. We knew what our famous battles were. We knew all the dates that everything happened. And, and other services just don't know that. And so some of us can remember this stuff 20 years later because it was so ingrained in your brain, all these things about what a Marine was and who a Marine was. In, 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 the, in the other services, just weren't like that. For other branches of service, you say, I was in the military or I was a soldier. In the Marines, you say, I am a Marine. 
I will always be a Marine. It's not something I did. It's something that I am. That's the difference. That's why Marines are different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through to 22 through 24. That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So just like the Marines have this physical way of you go to boot camp one thing and you come out of boot camp something completely different, Christians should be putting off the old man and be the new man that God has created them to be. It's not something that you do, it's something that you are. Christianity isn't something that you do, it's something that you are. You are a follower of Christ, amen? Amen. It's the, it's the mindset of it. It doesn't just go away later. You don't just get out of Christianity in four years and try to find another life. It just is who you are. You don't just go to church. You are the church. It's a mindset thing. You might not be always be able to see it on somebody, but as soon as somebody opens their mouth, the truth will be revealed. Would others know that you're a Christian by the words that you speak? I'm telling you, when, when you're in a circle of veterans and somebody opens their mouth that's a Marine, you know it's a Marine. And people are like, you were in the Marines, weren't you? When you're in a circle of people somewhere at some event and you open your mouth, are people like, you're a Christian, aren't you? Because in my mind, I hear them say, you're a Marine, aren't you? But in their mind, they're like, oh my gosh, you're, you must be a Marine. So maybe they're saying like that because you're a Christian and they're really irritated that they know you're going to tell them about Jesus. So what? You don't want them to say 20 minutes into the conversation, oh, you're a Christian? It's a mindset. Either you are or you aren't. Are people going to see it or are you going to transform into something in the room that they're not going to see or recognize? The mind is like the the acting, ruling part of us. So that renewing your mind and lining it up with the will of God is renewing the whole man or woman. It's like get your mind fixed on something and your body's going to follow it. It's just, I mean, it's like, it's basic biology. But what's interesting is because we're created by God, it's like basic spirituality. Like, get your mind right in Christ, and your actions and your bodies and your desires will follow that. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 67 say, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. If you ever talk to my wife, she'll always say, guard your heart. She'll always tell the kids all the time, guard your heart. Son, guard your heart. And we all know, we all know what that means. It means put some little guardrails around your heart and your mind so that Satan won't find his way into it. You know, like you're walking off to whatever thing. It's like, hey, guard your heart. Oh, yeah, I got to remember. Be diligent. Set my mind in the right direction. Keep, keep Christ in my heart and guard that so that the enemy can't come in and take swipes at it. 
It's important. It's important to have things, these things ready on your mind. It's important. Um, my third point is this. Walk in obedience. Renew your mind. Then you will know what God's will is for your life. You know, I'm telling you, when, when Paul like spoke this stuff, he was thinking about the three-point sermon. Every time. I'm telling you, it's so easy. Just take any portion of scripture and I'll, in about 10 minutes, you're like, oh, there's my three points right there. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's good and perfect will is for you. How am I supposed to know what God's will is for me? Well, let me tell you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's all right there. It's so practical. God has a general will for all of us, but he has a specific will for your life also. Now, God's general will is found in scripture and it's pretty easily understood to the renewed mind. We look at Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I mean, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40 says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So this isn't everything, but everything eventually boils back down to that. Love God and love people. Now, don't boil it down so far that you have it on your little cue card and your pamphlet, and that's all you ever talk about, because it's super complex when you get into it. But at the end of the day, your little, your little focus and the commander's intent is make sure that you love God first and put him before all things. And also, don't be a stupid jerk and start loving on some people sometimes. That's what Jesus wants. That's what his intent is. Love is an action, not just words. That means sometimes you got to accept people's faults. Listen, people are accepting your faults. Amen. Amen. If you really think about how you've hurt people and the faults that you have, and maybe even like if you can be self-aware enough to recognize your annoying habits and how much people don't throw that in your face, dude, you could start doing it for other people. I'm telling you, almost all of you probably have some really irritating habit. If you don't know what it is, talk to your spouse. <laughs> but they overlook that thing because they're trying to love people. Amen? Amen. Forgive those people that hurt you. Amen. Hurting people hurt people. I guarantee you, whoever hurts you has been hurt before too. It's horrible. Everybody hates to be hurt, right? So why are we turning around and hurting other people? Why can't we just forgive people? Have compassion for what people are going through. Listen, people are going through things. And even if you don't understand it or you wouldn't have chose it, you can still have compassion for it. Wouldn't you want people to have compassion for you through your circumstances? Even if they've never gone through it before? You don't want somebody to be like, hey, I went, so I, I'll tell you this funny story. It's not funny. It's tragic because this guy's a professional doctor. I went to this psychiatrist and I was, you know, I was like having a hard time and stuff and I'm talking to him. And so he's supposed to know everything, right? Because like a psychiatrist is like a, like a real doctor. 
They like have 12 years of training. And this guy was a, a doctor in the uh, army and now in regular life. So I'm like, this guy knows everything, right? So I'm telling him, yeah, it's really hard because my dad's been really sick and I think he's going to die soon. And he goes, so because like, you know, what would you say? Mm, how does that make you feel? Right? That's what people say. You know what he said? Well, how old is he? I said, well, he's, he's 70. Well, 70, 70 is a pretty old age. I mean, you know, 70 is a good long age. So, I mean, he's... Well, I was like, dude, you can't just like pack and pat me on the shoulder. Like, have you had never had anybody die in your life? Like, I don't care if he's old. I don't care if he's 98. You still say, oh, that must be hard. It's going to be okay. But... I don't have any doctor training, and I know that. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Mm, yeah, that must be hard. <laughs> Dude, you don't have any doctor training either, so how easy is it? Just be sympathetic. Yeah. Just because you don't think it'd be hard for you doesn't mean it's not hard for somebody else, right? This is the kind of stuff you'd want in your own life. Right. Let's look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This isn't all, but it's a pretty good start. Walk humbly, man. Be humble. Show mercy to people. We just talked about this stuff. Love justice. Love doing what's just and right. These are the kind of things that are, are God's general will for all of us. Okay? It's good stuff. Think about how this looks and how many decisions this kind of stuff covers. When you actually walk it out and put the stuff into practice, then try to think of something that this doesn't apply to. I mean, every area of your life, every decision you make, how you walk out your job, how you walk out your marriage, how you raise your kids, how you treat the rest of the people in your church, tell me what of this doesn't apply to those decisions and how you live your life. It's pretty all-encompassing, really, for being such a brief amount of, of instruction. So it's, so it's easy if you have your mind renewed. I think the hard part is, is because of our sinful nature, we typically are people who like to see other people get what they deserve. But we never want what we deserve. We want people to judge us on our intentions, but we judge other people on their actions. I'm just saying, renew your mind. Think about the mercy that God has shown you, and it will be easier to show mercy to other people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind. That's all of you he's talking about, the church. All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. Know that you are called to this and that you may inherit a blessing. The Bible's full of instructions of what God wants for his people. You got to read it and do what it says. And I'm completely 100% serious about that. If all the, all the Bible you're getting is just the pulpits on Sunday and Wednesday, you are severely missing out. 
Because I could be up here for 12 hours and still not tell you everything God is trying to speak to you. You can't just count on an hour here or an hour there. You've got to read your Bible and do what it says. So, God also has a specific will for your life, but I can't tell you what that is. Why? Because it's specific for you. But like the Bible verse tonight says, because of all these things God has already done for you, live your life as a sacrifice in obedience to the Lord. Renew your mind by reading his word and be transformed. Then you will know and understand his perfect will for your life. This, is, this takes action and application. You can't come to church and sit here and listen to a pastor tell you what God's will is for your life. You need to go home and read your Bible and be in prayer and fasting and silence a lot of the times and wait for the Lord to speak to you. But do you think he's going to reveal his will in your life or that you're going to recognize what he's revealing is the actual his will for your life if you haven't had your mind renewed and then if you're not offering your body as a living sacrifice, if you haven't been transformed and you can continue to just try to conform to the society around you? This Bible verse would tell me no. Therefore, read your Bible and do what it says. Walk in obedience. Don't make plans and ask God to bless it. Ask God for his plans and he will bless it. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me? It all starts with accepting that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. The reality is, is that we could not make it on our own, and we are sinners who need a Savior, each one of us. The difference here tonight is some of us ex- have accepted that fact and accepted and believed in a Savior, and some people have not. Well, this is your opportunity to do that. So if you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior tonight for the very first time, that you realize you are a sinner and you realize Jesus is the one and only person who can save you from your sin, and you're ready to repent of that sin and actually walk out this Christian life and make it, turn it into a reality like action, then tonight's your night. If you want to give your life to Christ for the first time tonight, then why don't you just raise your hand with me so we can just pray for you. No better time, no better place. And maybe you're in this place and your mind has not been right. And it was renewed at one time, but you kind of lost track of it. Tonight, get your, get your mind right and start walking in obedience so you can hear what the Lord has for you in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, I love you so much, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to just uh, present your word, Lord God. I pray I wasn't distracting from it. Lord God, I pray that you would speak your specific will to the people in this room that you have for them, Lord God. I pray for that kind of patience and humility that it takes to follow you and hear your word, Lord. And as we go from this place, Lord God, I pray that your words would not depart from our ears and that we would live in them in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Remember, there's cards on the back table there. There's pens on the back table. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.